and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. This is a spoiler-free podcast. So whether you're watching for the first time, or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary from a 21st century lens. Thank you for listening. Now, on to the episode. Season 6, Episode 11. Gone. Gone, gone, gone. Since you've been gone. Gone. Men sink. So many titles with gone in it. <laughs> okay. I had an alternative name for this episode, Kara, when I watched it. And instead of gone, I would call it yawn because I, I don't care for this episode. I'm sorry. I remembered it from previous times but um i thought i would enjoy it a lot more than i did i mean there are some funny parts in it but overall i was just like um no sarah michelle geller she's voice acting sure but like i want to see her i want to see buffy if you're gonna take away angel and then you're gonna take away giles you best leave me with buffy but they didn't for what episode there's not enough for me. Well, okay, that that is valid. I really liked this episode. I re- I also remembered it. I was. It's probably the episode of season six I look forward to the most. <laughs> Interesting. I don't know. I really like the whole like sudden invisibility gag. My alternate title is a callback. I'm going to call it Marcy's Revenge. <laughs> and even though it, no sign of Marcy in this. Well, they they do reference her which they i thought do was reference really nice. her and i have a point about that later too <laughs> i did read somewhere some somehow that because sarah michelle geller worked so hard for once more with feeling right with the singing the dancing the acting everything it just took so much out of her that the producers or joss whedon whoever was like okay down the line we'll give you a bigger break for one of the episodes and apparently this is it where they're like we're gonna like she's not really having to be on set as much this week. She went and did her voice work, I'm sure, for one day. But that was her break for doing such a great job in Once More With Feeling. I read that. Don't know if it's true or not, but I found that interesting. But much to my detriment, again, I, I just I just really, I really missed seeing her and her adorable little haircut. I wanted to see her the whole episode. I didn't. But also just overall, the episode was just like, hmm, for me. Also, a reason why it could have been so huh, for me is because Xander takes the lead. Like, maybe that's why I feel so Oh, off. I have thoughts. Don't <laughs> yeah. worry, Steph. I have things to say. <laughs> all right, let's get into it. We open on the summer's home where Buffy is packing up all of Willow's witchcraft stuff in the house. And Dawn is helping her out and Willow's watching from her bed. And Dawn is wearing a sling because, remember, she got into a car accident with Willow the previous episode. Uh, Willow's hair is looking the most natural it has all season. Like, it's just like, you know, she didn't do anything to it. She's just kind of like chilling on the bed. Look cute to me. And Buffy's clearly wearing a wig. (laughs) Yes. It's so obvious that I noticed it. And this is before I remembered she cuts her hair in the episode, which is obviously why she's wearing the wig in this scene. But 
I'm I'm looking at her hair and I'm like, that's oh that that's a wig. Uh, in my headcanon, that's the wig that she had bought Joyce when her and Joyce were talking about wig shopping back in season five. <laughs> I know. So she found it while she was packing away witchcraft stuff in Joyce's room, put it on. So Dawn is saying, candles? We can't have candles? And Buffy's like, Dawn, it's a magic clearance. Everything must go. And Dawn's like, they're just candles. And Buffy says, to you and me, they're just candles. But to witches, they're like bongs. <laughs> so... I want you to pay close attention to this, Kara, okay? I want you to pay close attention that Buffy says, we need to pack up all the candles, okay? And you'll see why later. So mm-hmm. <laughs> Willow looks apologetic, right? She's like, mm. and Buffy's like, no candles, no charms. Willow's like, the peacock on the table, it has two crystals in it. Tara, she left them. And Buffy finds them, and she's like, I'll make sure she gets them. So downstairs, Buffy asks Dawn to grab the fertility god statue on the desk, and Dawn protests. She's like, Cocopelli? No! I love him! And he was mom's! And Buffy just stares at her, and Dawn says, why do we have to get rid of so many things I like? And I don't know about you, but like, I was like, Donnie, that's a fair point, okay? Dawn, if there's some things that mean a lot to you, especially if they belong to her mother, like there's no reason why she can't take them and just hide them in her room or just put them away for now. Will's not going to live with them forever, right? Like, I don't know. Interesting. I had a very different reaction. My note says, Dawn, why are you acting like you're 10? (laughs) Interesting. The dynamic in this scene feels off, you know, um, because Buffy as you're about to tell us, is going to explain to Don that Willow has a problem. And just like her tone, the way she says it, it sounds like she's talking to a little kid and not a teenager. She's really like talking down to Don, which, and and maybe that's on purpose. Maybe that's like, you know, trying to set us up for what happens between Buffy and Don later in the episode. I don't know. But in this scene, Don is acting very whiny in a way that doesn't really match her adolescence and i didn't like it that's fair i i can see the petulant side of what she's saying here for sure like have a little empathy right like willow has an addiction we need to get rid of this stuff but on the other hand like i'm just such a i just empathize with dawn so much because i feel like she lost her mom she feels like no one pays attention to her like everything's changing in the home again so for her to lash out a little bit here and be like that was mom's why are the things that i want not being kept the way they are, right? Like, how come everything has to change in my life? And I I understand that as whiny as it comes out. Buffy says, Dawn, I explained this to you. Willow has a problem. The next few weeks are going to be crazy hard on her as it is. Any reminder of what it is she's trying to stay away from could cause her to give into temptation. That's when Buffy finds Spike's lighter um, in the couch, and she's reminded that they boinked And she says, and that would be bad. So she tosses the lighter into the box where I'm sure it will stay. (laughs) It really sucks that Buffy is not talking about Spike to someone. This is where I was like, oh, Buffy. Right after, you know, she's helping Willow because Willow has finally talked to her. Yeah, I know. I had the same thought as I was watching. I'm like, okay, Buffy, like you're stepping up for your friend. This is great. I, I... Other than the Dawn thing, I love this scene. Mm -hmm. I really like how this episode is handling Willow finally admitting that she has a problem. I just, yeah, I agree with you. It's so unfortunate that Buffy is admitting to herself that she has a problem, but she's decided that she's going to hide it. And I'm just like, okay, double standard here. 
Yeah, right? And like, hey, Willow needed humbling, okay? And that's why it is, I, I do have more sympathy for Willow in this episode than I have for a while now. But yeah, when it comes to Buffy, I was just like, oh, Buffy, like, you're, you're talking the talk, but you're not walking the walk here, you know? So at the trio's lair, Warren is using the diamond they stole from in Smashed to assemble a large weapon. And he's like, it's finally done. Jonathan says, it's kind of clunky looking. And Andrew says, I pictured something cooler, more ILM, less Ed Wood. And Warren says, you want to see, you want to see cool? I'll show you cool. And he shoots the weapon, which looks like a, like a red laser and it hits a chair and the chair disappears. Andrew and Jonathan both approach it. Jonathan sits on it and it looks like he's just floating in the middle of the air because obviously the chair is invisible and he starts laughing and he's like, I'd call that a successful test. And Warren's like, oh, that's just half the test. And he fires the gun at the chair again. And Jonathan thinks that he's trying to hit him, right? So he screams, but the chair is hit instead and it comes back to normal. And Jonathan calls Warren a penis. <laughs> and Warren's like, oh, cheer up, Frodo. Thanks to my brains and our mystical gem, we've got ourselves an invisibility ray. And I'd say that makes us pretty much unstoppable. Does it? <laughs> I guess we'll find out. Cut to credits. I think it makes them formidable. I mean, invisibility is probably one of the top tier superpowers. That is a good point. And that's probably exactly how that conversation went around with the, with the trio. <laughs> Brainstorming which superpowers yeah. you would want to have. Someone definitely said that. So um, we're back in the kitchen. Buffy's calling for Dawn to come down and eat breakfast because Xander's going to be there any second. Buffy mumbles to Willow that Dawn will be late for school again. And Willow is making omelets on the stove. And Buffy says... Asks her how she's doing, and Will's like, okay, not ready to go back to classes, face the world, okay, but the shakiness is only semi now, and I thought I'd spend the day fishing the net for more poop on the stolen diamond. Dawn comes in, and Buffy's like, I called you before, and Dawn's like, oh, I didn't hear you. And Willow says, Donnie, I'm making you a nice omelet. Donnie's like, I'm not hungry. And Buffy's like, you need to eat something, Dawn. And Dawn's like, thanks for your concern. And she slams her OJ on the table, and she walks away. Now, that's the dramatic teenager I'm looking for. <laughs> You're like, I want a dramatic teenager. I don't want a whitey teenager. <laughs> So Willow says, okay, I deserve the wrath of Dawn, but why is she taking down on you? And Buffy's like, because I let it happen. You were drowning, my best friend. I was too wrapped up in my dumb life to even notice. And I was like, well, hold the phone, Buffy, okay? You were dead. <laughs> and then you were ripped out of heaven and you are depressed and traumatized. So as a little lost lamb, give yourself some slack on not being there for Willow 100%. I, I agree with you. Like, I think Buffy's right. I think, and you know, that's, unfortunately, Dawn cannot help it as an adolescent. She's going to take it out on Buffy. But I agree with you. I think Buffy should go easier on herself. Mm -hmm. Spike barges in just then, uh, steaming from the outside with his blanket over his head. He's like, morning. And Buffy's like, what are you doing? And here. And Spike says, just took a stroll, found myself in this neck of the woods. And Buffy's like, couldn't find a less flammable time of day to take a stroll. And Spike's like, my lighter's gone missing. Thought I might have dropped it out of my pocket last time I was here. And Buffy's like, haven't seen it. Lies. Uh, so Willow's like, I'm going to go to my room and get dressed. And Buffy clearly does not want Willow to leave her alone with Spike in the kitchen. But there they are. And she says to Spike that he's a loser for making up excuses. And Spike says, don't flatter yourself, love. I'm bloody fond of that lighter. And Buffy says, stop trying to see me and stop calling me that. And Spike saunters up to her and says, so what should I call you then? Pet? sweetheart my little goldilocks and he's starting to touch her hair and he's like i love this hair the way it bounces around when i <laughs> and buffy 
raises her spatula and i was like throw back to cordelia in homecoming <laughs> remember when cordelia chose her spatula <laughs> as a weapon he says ah this flapjack is not ready to be flipped um they're making omelets not flapjacks spike pay attention fuck spike come on so buffy says what the hell is that supposed to but she stops because spike it's feeling her up oh i know and she says stop it but he won't because no means yes, according to this show, went to Spike. And Xander comes in then and says, Good Godfrey Cambridge, Spike, still trying to mack on Buffy. And Buffy pushes Spike's arm away. <laughs> Go on, Kara. <laughs> okay. What a face. I'm sure most of our listeners don't need me to explain this to them. But for the select few who do, this is a really good example of how the bar is on the floor when it comes to most straight cis men who want to be allies. Being an ally, is it's not enough to, you know, call yourself an ally. Maybe even call yourself feminist. Say that you love women. You got, you know, you have a girlfriend or a wife or a daughter or whatever. Like, Xander walks in on Spike possibly sexually assaulting Buffy, right? Like, that's what he's doing here. I say possibly just because... Xander doesn't know at that point whether or not Buffy consented. But from his perspective, he's walking in, Spike's feeling her up. We know that Buffy just said no to Spike and he's not stopping. And Xander might have heard her say stop it, right? Sure. Right. And her spatula's up in the air too, by yes. the way. So like if Xander wanted to be a better ally or be like an accomplice instead of an ally, like he should use his power as a man, especially because he knows that Spike can't hurt him. And actually, like, intervene and say, like, this is not okay. Boundaries. Like, and and here I am thinking, like, what's going through Xander's head? He's thinking, like, well, Buffy's the Slayer. If she doesn't want Spike to be, she can fight back. But I'm hearing myself say those things. And I'm like, whoa, Kara, internalized misogyny much? Like, mm -hmm. none of that matters, right? If you see, you know, somebody violating somebody else's boundaries and you have any shred of power in the situation to intervene, you should say something. You should speak up and do something. Xander making a joke out of it is not enough by any means. So fuck you very much, Xander Harris, for being a bystander as Spike sexually assaults Buffy. Mm -hmm. uh, I also want to add in to your very well said point there that it's surprising, but also not surprising that Xander isn't cluing in to Spike and Buffy this episode. Uh, it's surprising in that it's very obvious, like in this scene, in a scene that comes up later, and just in general, the way that they've been acting, I think is very suspicious. And I'm I'm like, well, Xander and the, the other Scoobies should be kind of cluing in at this point with, with all these hints. On the other hand, I'm not surprised at all because no one's noticing anything about anyone this season, period. You know? <laughs> Xander is too wrapped up in his wedding. Yeah, yes. no, you're right. And I think part of it is they're trying for the irony of like, oh, like... It's so obvious that Spike and Buffy are hooking up, but nobody thinks they are. <laughs> yeah, it's too no, obvious yeah, almost. It, it creates these yeah. weird kind of plot holes going on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's okay, because Xander says, like, wake up already. Never going to happen. Only a complete loser would ever hook up with you unless she's a simpleton like Harmony or a nutsack like Drusilla. Xander, again with the ableist language here. <laughs> like, come on, dude. Yeah, and also, like, Harmony is... 20 million times the character that you are so uh, as is drusilla right and as is drusilla <laughs> so 
Buffy gets triggered by that. So she's like, okay, we, we need to get Dawn off to school. Let's go fetch her, okay? And she leads um, Xander out by saying, like, you can let yourself out, right, Spike? And uh, Dawn comes down the stairs. She gives Buffy some snark. And Buffy tells her, like, okay, you'll come straight home after school. And Dawn's like, sure. Maybe we can find some time for you to get me into another car accident. <laughs> Fair. Deserved. Right? Mm. I feel like that is hitting the bullseye right where it needs to hit. And just as Buffy's opening the door, when she says that, there is a woman standing outside that heard the end of that sentence. And she says, good morning, you must be Dawn. I'm Doris Kruger from Social Services. We had an appointment. And Buffy's like, yeah, for Wednesday. And she's like, this is Wednesday. And this is, this woman, Kara, is such a Doris. She looks like somebody who knows what day of the week it is. Oh, she's Doris, 100%. She's she's not a Pat. No, no, no. This is a Doris. But she shops at the same mall as Pat. And she's in the same book club as Pat and Joyce. Absolutely. Oh, you... But did she know Joyce? Because then she would know Don. She'd know the whole sitch. No, I think she's in a rival book club. <laughs> oh, those are juicy, I must say, from personal experience. <laughs> One of them follows Oprah, and the other one follows another talk show host from the Reese early 2000s. Witherspoons, <laughs> and one of them's Heather's picks from Indigo and Canada. So anyway, I don't know. I I, I stand Doris in this episode. I can't help it. Oh, I don't. I have thoughts. Oh, interesting, interesting. Buffy looks at Xander, who confirms that yes, it is Wednesday. So she's like, right. Well, Dawn, you better. But Dawn is so pissed, and she just storms out. Again, I'll be honest, I feel for Donnie here, all right? I think Donifer has a reason to be angry. Buffy can't even remember the social services date? Like, it is Buffy's mm -hmm. job as her guardian to be on top of Don's welfare, as well as take care of her and make sure that social services doesn't come and pick her up. That was Buffy's number one job in season five, right? After Joyce left, she's like, I have to keep you in line or they'll take you away from me. And here she is forgetting about the appointment date, you know? So I, I get mm -hmm. it. I get why Dawn is pissed here. And also like, just to add on top of that, Dawn has three guardians. One can't remember she exists, can't even remember like, you know, to, to be home for her and, and um, when her appointments are. The other one left she moved out and then the the other one almost got her killed <laughs> and she did get her injured so poor donnie all right i feel i feel for donnie xander falls don out and doris comes in saying a little bit she's a little bit on the tardy side isn't she and buffy says it's been one of those mornings you know sorry about the mess we're doing a little house cleaning and spike is sitting in the living room and he's like are we gonna chat this out or what buffy says now's really not a good time i have company and spike says no worries i'll wait and Doris is like, Miss Summers, if you and your boyfriend would like to, and Buffy's like, he's not my boyfriend. Uh, Spike, this nice woman is from social services. And Spike's like, oh, right. And he gets up and he's like, Buffy's a great mom. She takes good care of her little sis. Like when Dawn was hanging out too much in my crypt, Buffy put a right stop to it. <laughs> not helping, Spike. Spike, go. She told you to go, go. So... Doris is like, did you just say? And Buffy's like, crib, crib. He says crib. Nice save. She's like, you know, kids today with their bugging street slang. And that Buffy got that quote from me. <laughs> Youths today. She says, Spike, didn't you have to go now because of that thing? And Spike's like, oh, yeah, 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 the blanket. So Buffy throws it to him aggressively and he leaves. And Doris is like watching this whole thing. 
And she says, oh, he sleeps here. And Buffy's like, no, no, no. The blanket is a security thing. He has issues. Just me and Don living here. And that's when Willow shouts, shouts from upstairs, Buffy, I'm not feeling hot, so I'm going to take a quick nap, okay? And Buffy's like, okay, Will, uh, that's Willow. She, she kind of lives here too, actually. <laughs> and Dora says, oh, so you live with another woman. Buffy's like, it's not a gay thing. She She's gay, but we aren't gay. Not that there's anything wrong with that. And would there be something wrong with that in the 2000s, early 2000s? Yes, absolutely. Yeah? Yeah. Well, so a couple things we have to remember, right? Uh, neither the US nor Canada had legalized gay marriage at that point, right? If Buffy were in a relationship with another woman and they were cohabitating, they wouldn't be married. Strike against them. I will expand on this a little bit more at the end of this scene. But regardless of what was, you know, what was legal, the problem with the Dorises of the world is they can use the power they've been given by social services to enforce whatever homophobic or otherwise discriminatory biases that they have uh, in terms of what they think makes for a stable, happy family. Okay. So Doris has found a baggie in the box on the table. It's not dinner in a bag. It's weed in a bag. And Buffy says, I know what that looks like, but I swear it's not what it looks like. It's magic weed. It's not mine. <laughs> this is okay. So firstly, this is hilarious. Yeah. I'm loving this. Like, don't get me wrong. I love this scene. It is so funny. Poor Buffy. Like she's doing her best. She, this is a great performance. Is she doing her best? <laughs> right. So secondly, yeah. I'm sorry, Buffy. I got nothing. The, um, the crib thing, that was a nice save. Magic weed, not so much. Uh, you need to think a little bit faster on your feet here, sister. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, Doris says, I think I've seen enough. And she goes to leave. And Buffy's like, I, I really don't think that you have. It it's been a bad time. And Doris says it's, been says, it's been a bad time for a while now, hasn't it, Miss Summers? Your sister's grades have fallen sharply in the last year due, to, due in large part to her frequent absences and lateness. And Buffy's like, there are good reasons. And Doris says, I'm sure there are. But my interest is in Dawn's welfare and the stability of her home life, something I'm just not convinced that an unemployed young woman like yourself can provide. And Buffy says, I can, I do. And Doris says, we'll just have to see about that, won't we? I'm going to recommend immediate probation in my report. It means that I'll be monitoring you very closely, Miss Summers. And if I don't see things are improving, I'll be forced to recommend that you'll be stripped of your sister's guardianship. And Buffy's like, you can't do that. And Dora says, I do what is Dawn's best interest, as should you. Have a nice day. She leaves. So I, and now I'm curious to hear what you think of Doris. I was like, straight up, Doris is just doing her job. <laughs> She's just doing her job. And Dawn is falling behind in school. She is lonely and neglected. Do I think she should be taken away from Buffy? No, I don't. But I, I, I am looking at it from Zora's point of view. I was like, this doesn't look good. There's magic weed everywhere. <laughs> Questionable boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I. so I hear what you're saying. Yeah. And I think that's what the show is, is trying to get us to think. Two things can be true at the same time, right? Buffy can be doing a poor job of being Don's guardian for the moment. And Doris can also potentially be overstepping and be white womaning it up all over the place. Let me expand on what I mean by that. Here's the thing. Social services has a very important role in our society, absolutely, because there are many situations where children are being abused or neglected and removing them from that situation is definitely the best thing for a child. Unfortunately, social services is also inextricably tied up in 
the state exercising its power to enforce colonialism and racism and all those other things, right? And one of the ways it does that is by empowering people like Doris, people who belong to, you know, the right social class, people who are of the right race, people who have the right sensibilities. Doris comes into this house and she sees a very untraditional living situation, by which I mean, you know, she wants a family that is straight and white and preferably heterosexual, you know, and married. She's not seeing that situation and immediately, right, she's thinking, oh, like, maybe I need to get this kid out of here. And and this is the part I really object to. It's the implication that her word is what's going to be the deciding factor here. And I don't really know what the process is. Maybe there'll be, if, if she recommends that Don gets removed from the home, maybe there'll be like other inspections and meetings. I don't know. But the point I'm trying to make, right, is for too many people in Buffy's situation, especially parents and guardians of color, um, this is their everyday experience, is a white woman coming into their home, looking at a home that does not match her idea of a healthy household and saying, no, nah, we're going to get your kid out of here. And social services believing this white woman over the parents who are maybe not even neglecting their kid, but maybe just living a lifestyle that matches, you know, their culture or um, when there are difficulties, it's because of systemic issues that they're facing. Right. So I understand that this episode didn't want to get into that, but I just, I couldn't let it pass because that that's literally what Doris is here. She's the epitome of a white woman social worker. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really great to show what Doris represents in the larger scale of things. One other thing I'll add on to that is I remember last season you and I were saying like, Dawn, you need to step it up because you will get taken away. Um, it's up to you also to keep your grades up, to go to school, not skip and all that stuff. And we were, we were more intense about that with Dawn last season. But this season, because of everything that's happened since that time with Buffy's death, mm-hmm. with uh, Will's addiction and everything that's changed since Buffy got back, I have more sympathy for Dawn in this case. But mm-hmm. again, it's clear that her grades have not gotten better. She is skipping. She's always late. So that is why Doris is coming down hard on Buffy. Yes. And I agree. And again, yeah. like, I don't want to downplay Buffy leaning towards the side of neglect with Don with all <laughs> yeah. of her difficulties. We've joked about it in the past couple of episodes, but it is a real problem. But again, it, it's that whole thing of like, okay, so Don's skipping class, Don's grades are slipping. Why are those always the metrics that we're using to decide if a kid should be removed from a home? And I maybe it's weird to hear a teacher saying this, right? But like, grades are not everything. It, it's just a society, a capitalist society obsessed with performance metrics that says oh if your grades are slipping we're going to take you out of your parents home mm-hmm. what i'm really against here is doris as a cog in this larger apparatus of social services that says if you don't do things exactly the way the state thinks you should we're going to take your kid out of your home buffy's not doing a great job as a guardian i think we can agree with that <laughs> and then i but it, it's this is me just saying like wouldn't it be nice mm-hmm. if social services had the funding from the state, and I know this is America, so Canada's not much better, but like, wouldn't it be nice if it had the funding to like come in and be like, oh, like, Dawn's having some trouble in school, you know, let's like, how can we help you? Talk more about it. Let's <laughs> yeah. support you, right? Like, 
but they they don't do that of course it's this either or thing of oh okay either you're good enough for her to live with you or we're just gonna take her out right away and i understand wanting to be on the side of caution for the child because that has to be what's the most important thing but i also think about all the families who aren't white and who aren't straight who you know like here in canada with the 60 scoop right like it's a tough thing to think about it's i'm sorry i did not mean to go this deep into it as we recap this episode it's really not a big thing but what we need to do is we need to pull a graduation day on the social services department building in sunnydale we need to set up all these bombs wait wait wait, wait. are you advocating terrorism (laughs) steph that's domestic terrorism put me i am not advocating that put me in rat prison for advocating that on our podcast all right i I would put doris in rat prison (laughs) no (laughs) what what Leave Doris alone. She's just a cog in the machine. <laughs> Take out her boss, if anything. Let's get when we, when we get there, we can talk about him. Oh, we'll talk about her boss. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 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 Buffy leans against the door in defeat. Spike is behind her and says, "Didn't go well, huh?" And Buffy looks at him and she's just like, "Why won't you go?" <laughs> and Spike's like, "I just thought you'd want." And Buffy says, "Get out of here!" And Spike storms up to her, slams his fist on the door beside her head reaches into her pant pocket and takes out the lighter, which she has had in her pocket this whole time, Kara. And he says, I'm just getting what I came here for, love. And he leaves. And he's like, so long, Goldilocks. And if you notice when he's strutting out, he takes very long steps. (laughs) I couldn't help but notice that when he's like strutting, he's like, just boom, boom, like really long steps. It's funny. Okay, so the, the aggression here with him slamming his fist on the door beside her head made me really uncomfortable. I get that their recent sexual encounter was quite violent, and this is continuing on with that. But it's still, it, regardless, Buffy is in a low place. She tells him to get out of here. He slams his fist next to her head. That made me really uncomfortable. Also, clearly, Buffy keeping his lighter in her pocket is symbolism for her own struggles from moving on, right? We already talked about that comparison between what Willow is willing to do to get over her addiction and what Buffy has not yet done. Whereas Willow is cleansing her life of magic. She's cutting everything out. Clearly, Buffy can't do that with. She's still toying with the idea of using Spike as an escape from how she's feeling about her life by keeping that lighter next to her. Yeah. (laughs) So um, Buffy goes upstairs and she slams the door. She starts to sniffle like she doesn't want to cry. So she's like, okay, what, what, like, what can I do? She, she starts, she tries to like shake it off her feelings of feeling worthless. And she goes into her drawers and she pulls out scissors. And then she looks in the mirror and she starts to cut off her hair. This is like the universal television cry for help signal, right? If chicken in a bucket wasn't the first cry for help, this is a big one too. And then of course she goes to the salon and the stylist is like, I think I can work with this. And Buffy's hair, her wig is chopped in all these different layers. <laughs> Call out. To our listeners, any of you who are hairstylists, please write in with your hot stakes. How often do you get crisis hair? Oh. Like, like, is this a once a week thing? Is this a once a month thing? Like, how often does somebody come in to you who has clearly, like, just cut their hair? Totally lost it and just cut their yeah, hair off. <laughs> and you have to fix it. I just, I just want to know. I would think, I'm, I'm not a stylist, but I would assume that they probably get a lot of people trying to trim their hair or trim their bangs that need fixing but like yeah we want to know what like when someone just like absolutely went ham yeah we just to be clear we do not want mistake hair we want crisis hair we want people 
so Buffy is with her butchered haircut and she says, just make me different. And I'm sure this is also something that this is a universal thing, right? It's such a good line. I need a change in my life. Get me a new haircut. Get me a new wardrobe. You've had long hair as far as long as I've known you, right? You cut it short a little bit at one point. I had a little blob for about a year there. (laughs) But other than that, yes, it's always been long. Yeah. Whereas for me, back when we thought I was a man, I would... I always kept my hair short. I did not like the the shaggy hair look that my brother rocked for a little bit, kind of like just after it was popular. Not that I'm digging on him. Um, I was always about the short hair. And then when I uh, came out and realized I was trans, that was one of the first things I was most excited to do was start growing out my hair. And it's like, it's so interesting to me. It's like, I was so like anti long hair this entire time. The moment I flipped that switch, I'm like, yeah, grow out my hair. And I love it. And mm-hmm. it's like, it's so fascinating to me. But yeah, it's, it, yeah. So like, I, my hair is almost at the point where it's long enough. And then it's like, I'm not, I'm not like, oh, and then I'm just going to cut it all off. But like, I'm looking at it and I'm, like, I'm trying to envision myself as like, would I like a shorter haircut at some point? And I don't know. The nice thing about hair, right, is if you cut it off, usually it grows back. Well, to quote Fleabag, which is like my favorite show. Hair is everything, and we wish it wasn't so we could think about something else for once, but it is. It, it makes the difference between a good day and a bad day, and hair matters. So get your hair cut, Buffy. Agreed. Uh, so we cut to the trio uh, who are walking away from their trademark formerly Death Star van. Andrew's saying, I'm scared. What if we get caught? Jonathan says, no way. We'll be invisible. Plus, their security's gotten lax. Remember that in just a moment. Mm-hmm. Warren says, you should know you've cased this joint enough. What, what, what did you think they were doing before you saw what they were doing, Steph? I thought were they, they were going a to bank? a bank. Yeah, I thought they were going yeah. back to a bank. So the, the scene sets this joke up. And so what happens is we see them walking past the sign for a bikini, like a, a spa, a women-only spa that advertises bikini wax Wednesdays, and they're you know they're clearly about to use the gun to make themselves invisible and then sneak into this spa to ogle scantily clad, perhaps even partially nude women. And I'm just like disgusting. It's disgusting, right? Yeah, like it just it speaks to the misogyny of the trio. And there's a part of me that's like, is it's hard to me this is the most defensible thing about this show when we talk about like whether it holds up and when we use that phrase oh it's of its time this is what i think we mean right is like i think this joke holds up for something from the early 2000s and i understand that this is the writers trying to establish the misogyny of the trio but nowadays i'm looking at it i'm just like okay like this is really on the nose like come on yeah so warren is like oh remember we're professionals Mm. um so jonathan saying their security's gotten lax right implies that he's been spending time hanging around this place and like trying to get in they're gross they're fucking little perverts they're little little (sighs) mini spikes running around i don't know is is it because they don't have high-speed internet they don't have the free cable porn like i don't get it um so andrew interrupts them because he sees that buffy's leaving the salon that's across the street because sunnydale only has two streets and so he says slayer heading this way 
and Warren turns to look. Andrew and Jonathan take the weapon into the alleyway, and they start fighting over it. And Jonathan's saying, Buffy can't see me. Because remember, Jonathan went to high school with Buffy. And they last, they were, we last saw Jonathan in Superstar, right? We didn't see him in season five. Yeah. So he and Buffy have history. Obviously, she and Warren have history. Not as much. So Jonathan's freaking out. And as they fight and Warren joins them, the laser goes off. And of course, it hits Buffy. Also hits a tree and a garbage bin and a pylon. We'll come back to those later. Uh, And everything that it hits turns invisible, including Buffy. And then Andrew says, whoopsie. So at the magic box, Xander is saying, what happened to Buffy? She's gone. And Anya is going over the seating chart for her wedding. She's like, no, she's right here. Table four. I put her with your family. And Xander says, great, except we don't hate Buffy. Put her back to table one. And Anya's like, then where would I, where would we put Tahofrin? And Xander says, we're not inviting Tahofrin. And Anya says, we have to. He's my ex-boss. So, okay, Kara, I've got lots of opinions yes, yes. about weddings. Please tell me your thoughts <laughs> about wedding planning I, in the Buffyverse. I have a lot of thoughts about wedding planning. Um, why isn't Buffy, who I assume is a bridesmaid based on their conversation in uh, Smashed, or was it Wrecked and Smashed, I think? Buffy's a bridesmaid. Why isn't she automatically at table one, sitting with the wedding party or with her friends at the very least, you know? Because you, you don't have to have a wedding party table, but like... Put her with 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 Willow. Put her with like with Xander. Put her with people that she knows and loves. So that was my first thought. Do you need to invite your ex boss? I guess it depends on how close you are to them. My understanding was that Anya and Dehoffrin did not end on good terms, right? Dehoffrin like fired her, and then last time we saw him, he was trying to recruit Willow. But clearly, if Anya wants to invite him, that's totally up to her, right? That's it's her wedding. Remember, Dehoffrin is like our feminist yeah. demon boss, right? Hey, I- I would want to Hoffman at my wedding personally. Um, but my other thing was, Kate, you're already doing the seating chart. Have the invitations not gone out already? Like, because like, Xander says we're not inviting to Hoffman. Like, and Anya's like, no, we are. So either they already, she did it already behind Xander's back, or they haven't sent out their invites yet. When is this Ooh, wedding? Drama. I love it. Can I get the reality TV show that is just Xander and Anya's wedding planning? Because I would, <laughs> I would watch that. It'd be like, like three weddings so and a demon. Do you have any seating chart stories that you could tell? No, mine was very easy because I had a COVID wedding, right? So it was only 25 people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so it wasn't um, a hard thing for me. But if it was a, the original wedding I had planned, which was 200 people, fuck yeah, I'd be doing what Anya ha- is doing here with her like little stickies. That's so fun for me. Anybody you couldn't sit next to each other? Oh, absolutely. For sure. You have like little things where you're like, oh, my aunt doesn't get along with this cousin. Like you got to like split them up or like, I love organizing people. <laughs> I love I ranking do. and organizing people in my life. It's so fun. But yeah, my point about this is that you wouldn't really be doing the seating chart until you get your RSVPs back to see who's coming, right? Unless Anya's just really ahead of the oh, game. Oh, you know she has like seven different versions of the seating chart. <laughs> yeah. She's got a different version for like if they have to use a different venue, like she's all over it. Yeah. So I I think this is fun. We need to see more of Anya's wedding planning stuff. Uh, I have lots of opinions. So um, as this convo is happening, the door to the magic shop box opens and no one comes through it. No one who is visible anyway. Anya says, well, you're inviting your work buddies. And we hear Buffy say, she's got a point. And Xander says, Buffy, where are you? And Buffy's like, at table four, apparently. And Anya says, well, that remains to be seen. 
like you. <laughs> and Buffy's like, don't string yourself looking, Xander. I'm invisible, girl. And Xander reaches out and Buffy's like, uh, Xander, uh, because Xander was obviously about to grab her boobs, which is a boob joke. Xander says, how did this, like, have you, have you been feeling ignored lately? <laughs> and Buffy says, I wish, no, this isn't a Marcy deal. So there is the callback to season one, out of mind, out of sight. This is what kind of triggered me to this type, this thought process I had here, Cara, where I was like, would this have been a really good opportunity for them to have brought back the whole government and invisible people initiative? Was it the initiative itself, right? Was it was it Riley's initiative uh, government department that was uh, undertaking that? Like, could they have dived back into that storyline that went nowhere right it was just like a little scene and then we never heard about it ever again i I wish i don't think they could have made it work in this episode just purely for timing reasons yeah but that would have been a nice callback that would have been a nice tie-in if like somebody from that government showed up and was like hey by the way like do you want to come with us and she's like nah Uh, okay but counterpoint Maybe Marcy is in this episode. You just can see her. <laughs> Maybe she's been here this whole time. <laughs> Marcy, uncredited in every Buffy episode. She's just watching and watching. Um, also, just quickly on the whole Xander touching Buffy's boobs thing. Why am I not? Like, why was I so surprised at the beginning of this episode where he doesn't stand up for Buffy? Like, of course, he's on Spike's side. Come on. Yes. What a piece of shit. <laughs> So Buffy says, I don't know what happened. I left Main Street after getting my hair cut. And, and Anya's like, you got your hair cut? How short? And Buffy's like, up to here. If you could see my hands, it's, it's a kind of above my shoulders. And Anya says, that sounds so adorable. I was thinking about getting my hair cut before the wedding. And I'm like, Anya, no. All right. The longer the hair for your wedding, the better. So you can do more stuff with it. <laughs> yes, agreed. I thought, because I don't remember every line of every episode, I thought Anya was going to say, but that's totally going to ruin the bridesmaid photo, right? Oh, like, fascinating. Yeah, if, if Anya is the bridezilla that we all know her to be, uh, she might dictate exactly what kind of hairstyles these girls need to have. Um, and just a side note, I knew a girl once who was like telling me that she wouldn't want her bridesmaids to wear makeup. When she's standing at the altar with all her bridesmaids behind her, she doesn't want anyone looking at her bridesmaids. Everyone has to be looking at her. Okay, so A, obviously that's fucking ridiculous. But also, like, (laughs) if you're concerned that any of your bridesmaids' makeup will upstage yours, you need to fire your makeup artist. (laughs) Oh, she, yeah, that was, mm, no further comment from me on that. But uh, some brides care a lot, you know. So um, Xander brings things back to no-show Buffy. He says this is serious. And Buffy's like, it kind of fits the day I've had. And she picks up this ball from like the around the shop and she starts tossing it up. So like we don't see her, but we see the ball tossing. And she she's ranting about her day, right? She's saying Willow being a wreck. And that's a callback to wrecked. Um, Dawn's mad at both of us. Social services lady put me through the ringer. Said she was going to watch me. Like to see her try now. There might be an upside to no see me. And Xander's like, if she saw anyone or anything, asks if she saw anyone or anything suspicious before she cleared up. And Buffy's like, no, didn't see nothing. And she's playing with the balls that she's going to got two. <laughs> she's playing with balls. Two in her hands. And she's using them as eyeballs, right? And she seems to be in a very chipper mood. And Anya says, well, why would anyone want to make 
you invisible anyway, and invisible slayers got to be way more effective than the standard variety. And Xander says, less with the why and more with the how. We get the how, then we got how to make her unseen sight seen again, right? And Buffy holds a skull up and she's like, it's all right. And Xander says, Buffy, could you focus, please? And Buffy says, I am, but this is kind of fun. And Anya says, it would help if we had a little more to go on, anything to go on. Xander says, he could go check the spot where Buffy disappeared, snoop for clues. Buffy's like, okay, I'm going to go for a walk, clear my head. You guys keep working on the what's and how's. <laughs> clear my head. And then she leaves. Anya says, she goes back to her seating chart. <laughs> that's her priority. And she says, it's pretty obvious it's some kind of spell that's done this to her. And Xander says, spell from who? You said it yourself that it makes no sense for one of her enemies to make her invisible. And Anya's like, maybe it's a mistake. It's tough. It's, oh, it's tough. This is such a tough move. The least competence. Above his enemy. Um, Xander says a magical mistake. Who'd be messing around with that kind of? <gasps> and then they look at each other. And he, so here is my first reference to Xander taking the lead in this situation. And at first, Kara, I was like, "Oh, good, good for him, good, good, good." And then on second thought, I was like, "He's probably doing this to avoid wedding planning with Anya." <laughs> well, so the problem is, and you and I have talked about this before on the podcast, right? When you rank the hierarchy of the Scoobies and who's in charge when Buffy's not there, Xander is nowhere near the top. So if Xander is the one taking charge of a situation, things have gone horribly wrong. <laughs> things are a muck in Sunnydale, that's for sure. Okay, so we got to cut to Willow in the dining room at the summer's home because she's working on her computer. And note, Kara, that I counted six candles behind her. <laughs> it's almost as bad as the Master's Lair in season one. Right. Like what is you I thought you were collecting all the candles. You girls did a terrible job of this. Well, to be fair, they never finished because they were busy with the lighter and the No, no, no. They had all night. They had all night to clear it out. They didn't. And they just left the box in the living room. (laughs) Clearly didn't matter that much. Then I also want to point out that Willow is back to her fuzzy clothing and and sweaters. Right? Like she's not wearing her edgy witch stuff anymore. Well, remember, it's currently a bitter winter in Sunnydale. <laughs> yeah, we have to forget that it's uh, it's like minus 20 outside. Willow starts to summon a book that's on the opposite end of the table, but then she stops herself because she can't use magic anymore. Xander comes in and sees, he's like, Willow, how's it going? And Willow looks guilty. She's like, good. I found some stuff out about the diamond that was stolen from the museum. It's called the Illuminata. There's rumors of it having quasi-mystical quantum properties. Xander says, we have to talk. Is there something you want to tell me? Will's like, it was nothing. I didn't slip. And Xander says, nobody's mad. Relapse is a part of recovery. We understand that. We just have to figure out a way to fix it. And Willow says, fix it? Fix what? And Xander says, fix Buffy. And Willow says, Buffy's broken? And Xander's like, you don't know? Rhymes with Blinvisible? Buffy was in town leaving the haircutting place. And Willow's like, Buffy got her haircut? (laughs) And Xander's like, yeah, adorable, apparently. I personally couldn't tell since she's all invisible. And Will says, you think I have something to do with this? And Xander says, no, not like, come on, Will. Some of the spells you've done has caused weird stuff to happen to each of us at one time or another. And let's not forget the recent forgetting. And Will says, oh, I see. So now when anything nasty happens, I get conveniently blamed for it. And, um, yes. (laughs) 
<laughs> like, I'm, I'm sorry, Indeed. but yes. Yes, you do, Willow, because but you've been sober from magic for, what, a day? Yeah, like, like you, trust needs to be earned back, my friend. Xander and Anya's suspicion here is entirely well-founded. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> based on Tabula Raza alone, although I will say, maybe Xander's trying to throw suspicion away from his, you know, maybe maybe this is another thing that he stole from the magic box. Well, no, no, know. yeah. Let me, let me also rephrase and say, I don't like that this is coming from Xander, who summoned a dancing demon that burned a man alive a couple episodes ago. So, like, Xander, you are not one to throw stones here. Also, yes, Willow, Buffy is broken. Just not in the way that Xander thinks. <laughs> yeah, and I and I was annoyed with Willow. I mean, I like Willow in this episode, I do. Um, but this was annoying me because I was like, don't act so like up in arms that they would suspect you, Willow. Like, you've earned that suspicion. So Xander says, no one's blaming, and Will stands up and she says, I guess it wouldn't matter if I just jumped off the wagon completely since you already think I'm making pit stops. And Xander says, if you say you didn't do it, but Willow says, I'm going for a walk, and she storms out. In the trio layer, Warren is saying, the wiring on the weapon is fried. Andrew's whining, of course. He says, oh, we had so many plans. Naked women, and all the naked women. Mm-hmm. And then he blames Jonathan for grabbing it from him. And Jonathan defends himself and says, we have bigger problems, bonehead. The Slayer's invisible now. And Andrew says, yeah, she could be anywhere, even here, right now, watching, listening to every word we say. For all we know, she could be one of us, which is so ridiculous. But they freak out and they look at each other (laughs) and then they snap out of it. And Warren's like, I wouldn't sweat the Slayer too much. And then Jonathan says, in my book, an invisible Slayer means a whole world of trouble. So they know that the Slayer is invisible. The trio is the weakest part of the episode for me. I don't know how you feel, Steph. Well, that's probably another reason why it's like, okay, no Sarah Michelle Geller and so much trio. Like, that's probably why yeah, that's fair. another reason why I didn't like it as much. Okay, so we cut to Buffy, who indeed is making a whole world of trouble for no reason. Like, she's she's wandering through a park. She sees a, a girl wearing a bedazzled hat, and she takes it up off her. And, of course, the girl can't see who's holding the hat. And she says, I am the ghost of fashion victims past. Studded caps? Not a good idea. And the girl runs away, and Buffy chucks it in the garbage. And she's like, I'm doing you a favor. And then she considers harassing joggers. Doesn't do it. But then she does harass harass a parking officer, <laughs> drives away in his car all the way to Sunnydale Social Service Building. So inside the government building, Doris is doing her paperwork at her desk and drinking from a mug of coffee. She puts a mug down and then she reaches for it in a bit and it's on the other side of her. And she's like, where's my... And okay, she, she's like oh, losing my mind because she finds her mug and her co-worker is looking at her and Kara like you could tell her co-worker hates her guts. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I this is the start of a very funny scene. And I will say my sympathies are with Doris in this scene. So like Doris is maybe the most complex character in this episode because I my feelings about her are all over the place. Yeah, I was gonna say like, but you like you're like no, Doris is the worst when I defended her earlier. Like this scene is is so I feel bad for Doris a lot by the end of the scene, but um I just want to know more about this office ri- rivalry. Ooh, there's nothing more delicious than a than a bitter government workers rivalry with her cubicle sharing friend Doris. You know, Doris. I think the coworker's name must be something like Cindy. Karen. 
Karen, yeah, like. So Doris um, puts the mug back down, and then it goes missing again. And she says, "Who's the?" And the mug is now floating above her computer, and Buffy is whispering, "Kill, kill, kill!" And Doris is like, "What?" And her coworker says, "I didn't say anything." And Doris is like, "Not you, the mug. It's." But the mug is back where it was originally placed. Doris says, "But I, but I heard something." And Buffy whispers, "Kill Doris. Kill everybody. You know you want to." <laughs> And Doris stands up and shouts, shut up, shut up, just shut up. And all her colleagues are looking at her now. They're all worried. And Doris runs to the bathroom. As she's in the bathroom, Buffy goes through her files. She finds Dawn's folder and she starts to type something on the computer. Doris comes back and she's like gotten, you know, a a washcloth to pat her her neck. And her boss comes up to her and he's like, okay, I've got a few. So if you want to discuss the case file now. And Doris is like, what? Oh, oh yes, yes, the Summers file. It's right over here. A 15-year-old girl living under her her older sister's guardianship and she passes her boss the folder and he looks through it and he's like what is this all work and no play makes doris a dull girl the page is filled with it and like sure enough uh it is and more pages are being printed at the printer and this is of course a reference to the shining the movie and the book and doris says um i didn't do this it was the voice there was a voice before it made my coffee dance it told me to and the boss is like to what and she's like nothing (laughs) So the boy, the boss says, Doris, take the rest of the day off. See a doctor. We'll put someone else on your cases and have them redo the Summers interview. And Doris is like, I'm not crazy. And he's like, no one said you were. And we hear whistling as Buffy leaves the building through the door. So yeah, again, I felt bad for Doris here. She is just trying to do her job. I am glad that Buffy kiboshed, you know, the 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 interview that she has time now to get things right. But, but yeah, Doris is not crazy and um that's too bad. Right. So this is a pretty classic kind of trope in these kinds of TV shows, right? Is something weird and quirky happens to our hero, but they manage to spin it and use it to their advantage to take care of a different issue that they're facing in the same episode. And it's funny, like, this is a very funny scene. And like you just said, right, at least Buffy has kind of played this out and and kicked this can down the road. But yeah, I feel sorry for Doris. As much as I was critical earlier of systemic issues around social services, now let me be critical of how, you know, the systemic discrimination when it comes to mental health issues in workplaces, right? Like, if I were Doris's boss, I would be like, hey, Doris, like, are you okay And rather than, like, dismissing her concerns, right, like, maybe we should, like, have a conversation and be like, hey, like, do you need to, you know, access the employee assistance program, right? Like, yeah, or like, can we get get HR in here and, like, have a conversation in my office, not in front of all your colleagues about, like, you mm -hmm. know, is something going on with you that we can talk about? Because it's probably her first outburst, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's part of the reason not to completely apologize for uh, people who might abuse their their power, and I'm not saying Doris is, but it's possible. It's likely it's possible. <laughs> um, part of it too is they have their own traumas and they have their own issues and they have their own mental health struggles. And when we don't take care of everybody, that causes some people to uh, further, you know, misuse and abuse their positions of power. Mm-hmm. In the alleyway outside the wax spa. Uh, Willow is on the case. She's using her Scooby-Doo, Nancy Drew investigative talents, and she is spray painting the invisible dumpster with red paint. Uh, And Xander approaches her and she says, look, Xander, 
I figured out this is where Buffy disappeared based on what you told me. So don't start jumping to any conclusions, which good for you, Willow. That was very vague information that Sander gave you. <laughs> he said she got her hair cut. <laughs> She's discovered invisible things. <laughs> is that the only slot in Sunnydale? <laughs> She's a genius. All right. Willow is a genius. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Uh, so Xander's saying, no jumping, feet firmly planted. And Willow says, I'm not feeling like myself right now. Sorry. And Xander says, me too. Sorry. (laughs) I I can't believe it. I cannot believe it. Xander just said, sorry? He said sorry for something? Well, also, also, I feel like, Willow, you do not owe Xander an apology. Um, I meant to say this earlier. This was in my notes. But so when Willow walked out, in the earlier scene, that was the second time a woman has walked out on Xander in this episode. And my comment was supposed to be, Xander should be used to women walking out on him by now. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just shocked that they gave him that line, right? When has he, he said sorry maybe once in his whole life. So Xander asks, well, what have you found out so far? And Willow points out a treadmark. And she says, something sped out of here pretty damn quick to make that kind of treadmark. And Xander says, those could have been made anytime. Willow says, yeah, but this wasn't. And she holds out a vial, a glass vial, and it has paint that she scraped off of a fire hydrant. Xander (laughs) says, what fire hydrant? And as he's walking, he hits something with a metallic clang. And he says, ow. And Willow says, that one. Uh, She says, whatever hit this fire hydrant hit it after it was made invisible. And I betcha by golly wow that something was the same something that shot out of that alley. And Xander says, black paint. Buffy's phantom van. Little stretch. I know, I was going to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) We need to let Buffy know, but... And then he trips over something, and Willow sprays it, and it's a pylon. Damn, these Scoobies are detecting the shit out of this mystery. Okay, but I really like how we're seeing Willow turn back into science Willow, right? I love it. Oh, I love it, yeah. She's like, I'm not going to use magic. And, and we saw her resist the temptation earlier, and now she's, you know, she's out and about, and she's using her brains, she's using her scientific know-how, and she's making a lot of progress. So go Willow. And we know that she, as much as she says she has no money, she can't help Buffy pay rent, but she can buy Dawn dinner and a movie, and she can't afford spray paint because she just went to some home hardware oh, store. I, I assumed that she just stole it from some youths. <laughs> the use that left it for their continuing graffiti art later <laughs> um so willow tells xander to take the spray painted pylon i think it's very convenient that she spray painted it the same color it happened to originally be and she says that she's got the paint scrapings and the tire mark she's gonna find the van that's been stalking buffy and then she's like where is buffy <laughs> where indeed um we cut to spike's den he's watching some movie where the person's like all the blood so that triggers Spike's hunger. So he gets up, he goes to the fridge to drink some blood and the door to his crib opens and we hear footsteps walking over and he's like, whatever beastie you are, I know you're here and I hurt beasties. And it is Buffy, we know that. She brushes up past him and he says, watch it as she turns off the TV. Spike says, a ghost, is it? Go and haunt the living like a good spook. And then suddenly, Spike is thrown against the wall and his shirt is ripped open. And it looks like something, like the way that uh, Spike is acting, it looks like something is like 
either like I, I pictured some like Buffy's licking up his neck or something because his head kind of turns and, and he says Buffy and Buffy says I told you stop trying to see me and he gets thrown around again Anya and Xander are at the table with the magic box with the pylon in front of them doing research Anya says oh I got it we'll put DeHoffren at your parents table and move your uncle Rory to table five near the bar <laughs> so clearly Anya is still wedding planning and actually that is a good plan um Anya, because we know, based on previous information, that Uncle Rory is an alcoholic. So sure, put him next to the bar. It's where he's going to be happiest. Xander says, uh, on, honey, we're looking for invisibility spells. And Anya says, I obviously haven't found anything yet. At least nothing that could explain why things near Buffy become invisible. She reaches in to touch the pylon, and her hand goes right through it. And she's like, ew, Xander! And Xander's like, what happened? And she says, it was an unpleasant tactile experience, like putting my hand in pudding. And Xander <laughs> reaches in, and... And his hand goes through it too. He goes, ew. And Anya's like, pudding, right? Rice or tapioca, lumping like that. I really like how she describes it as an unpleasant tactile experience. I love tapioca pudding, P.S. Or anything tapioca or like bubble tea. Mm, mm, mm. So Xander says, we have to find Buffy. She's got to know. And Anya says, I don't think Buffy's going to be too broken up about a pylon. <laughs> And Xander says, no, Anya, whatever is happening to the pylon will probably happen to her. If we don't find Buffy, we don't, if we don't figure out how this is done, Anya says, she's pudding? So Xander, I, I mean, I know it's not like hard to figure out like, oh, whatever's happening to the pylon is probably gonna happen to Buffy. But like, I was still, I still found it interesting that he came to that conclusion that he is, again, taking lead on this detective stuff, even though Willow's out there on the streets, you know, getting all the information. Yeah, exactly. Jonathan is saying to Warren, what do you mean? She'll fade away. And Warren says, The Slayer got slammed with a big-ass dose of radiation when the gun overloaded. Her cells are mutating at an accelerated rate. Eventually, her molecular makeup will start losing its integrity. And then, pfft. And Andrew says, Understatement of the year. Won't that kill her? <laughs> Warren mocks him and says, Let me think. Yeah. Jonathan says, Wait a minute. We're not killing anybody. Especially not Buffy. So, I want to point something out here, because Jonathan earlier said, she can't see me about Buffy, right? Now that I say that out loud, it's ironic right there. And then now he's saying we can't kill anybody, especially not Buffy. Gee, it sounds like Jonathan is having second thoughts about this whole being evil thing. And he knows that it's wrong, because every time he's tried to do something remotely wrong, Buffy has been there to stop him. I think Jonathan wants Buffy to stop him. Yeah, you think he wants her to pay attention to him again? Oh, I think that's why he's so obsessed with her not knowing that he's in the trio. It's because he knows that she would tell him that it's wrong. He knows that it's wrong. But as long as she doesn't say it to him, right, he can just kind of like pretend it's okay. But if she sees him and says, Jonathan, this is not you... He's going to have to deal, you know, he has to reconcile that fact and he doesn't want to do that. It kind of feels that way with Jonathan this whole season, right? Like he's going along because it's cool. It's fun. They're evil villains. They're Lex Luthor. They're they're super crime lords, right? It's, it's almost like it's a game to him. So when things get real, because this is not the first time that Warren has brought up killing Buffy, right? He did that with um, Fashnik uh, back when we first met the trio. When things get real is when Jonathan backs up. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, this is all supposed to be fun and games. This is not supposed to be murder. This is not supposed to be like that. So Warren says, we're villains. When are you going to get that through your thick skulls? Jonathan replies, we're not killers. We're crime lords. And Andrew says, yeah, like Lex Luthor. He's always trying to take over Metropolis, but he doesn't kill Superman. And Warren says, because it's Superman's book, you idiot. Which, 
I just want to point out that actually Lex Luthor, I think, has Lex Luthor ever killed Superman? I don't know if Lex Luthor has ever killed Superman. He's come close. They've killed Superman before. So, Andrew, I don't know what you're going on about here. But Superman always returns. (laughs) That is also true. So does Buffy. So there you go. (laughs) (laughs) That was going to be my next point was... They've killed Buffy twice. It's not sticking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but I, I guess these guys don't know that, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Andrew says, "Well, Lex doesn't kill him, does he?" And Jonathan says, "Listen, Warren, you get that ray working, and the first thing we're going to do is find Buffy and revisible her before it's too late." Warren stands up, and he's so much taller than Jonathan, but Jonathan still says, "You got me." Mm-hmm. Uh, and Andrew nods and warren's like okay yeah like whatever you guys say this is interesting right like again i think the trio is overused in this episode but i like this scene because it's showing us the differences of opinion among the three members well and the dissension right like clearly warren is okay with murder and the others are not not the first time that we've addressed this and i think the show is doing a really good job of building this dissension slowly since we've met them this is not the first time it's come up, but it still continues to be a point of contention within the group. So, um, ooh, I'm curious to hear what you have to say about this next scene, Kara. Can I not take a break? <laughs> no. Nope. Can I just go? We're, nope. Stick right there. I really want to hear your thoughts. <laughs> Xander <gasps> has entered Spike's crypt and notices all the furniture has been knocked around. There's debris everywhere. So he goes down into the bottom area and Spike and Buffy are having sex in Spike's bed. Buffy's invisible, of course, so it's just James Marsters. Getting his paycheck this week, pretending to have sex with no nothing in a bed. Um, but yeah, sure enough, Spike's alone in bed, and thank God the sheets are covering his body. Um, but he is on his hands and knees, um, thrusting. And Xander says, Spike. And Spike looks up at Xander. Xander's like, What are you doing? And Spike's like, Well, what am I what does it look like I'm doing, you knit? I'm exercising. And Spike does like push-ups, but like clearly. There's still thrusting going on there. So they're having sex with Xander right there. I'm going to be sick. Xander says, exercising, naked, in bed. Spike gets up. He wraps the blanket around himself. And he says, a man shouldn't use immortality as an excuse to let himself go. Got to keep fit for the killing. (laughs) And he sits at the end of the bed. Xander says, yeah, I'm looking for Buffy. Spike says, haven't seen her. And Xander says, you wouldn't. She's come down with a slight case of invisibility. And Spike's like, yeah. How did, but we hear Buffy like making noises behind him, like moaning and like she's sucking his ear because his earlobe is moving and Spike is really distracted by that. And Xander says, we don't know yet. Anyway, she's not at the house and I really, really need to find her. And Spike like literally bats Buffy away, but because you can't see her, it's like a really funny fidgety kind of move. And he's like, okay, I'll take a peek around first chance I get. And if we bump into each other, I'll clear in that you're on the lookout. And Xander's like, after your exercises. And he's like, yeah. So Xander goes to leave and he says, kidding aside, Spike, you really should get a girlfriend. And he goes. So again, again, Cara, we already brought this up, but like, it, like it's kind of obvious. Like, to, obviously to us, we know for sure that what's going on here. But like, Xander, like, <laughs> I know it would be really hard for Xander to wrap his head around the fact that Buffy, who sometimes he respects, <laughs> would have sex with Spike and he would have to have a lot more understanding of where Buffy's coming from this season but like Xander you saw Spike save Buffy from killing herself in Once More With Feeling you heard 
where Buffy's headspace was at during that episode. You have not had a conversation with her since. Is it really so crazy that possibly Spike doing exercises in bed could have been with an invisible Buffy? Like, I don't know, you know? I just can't get over the visual of Spike above Buffy on top of Buffy. Like, it's the kind of scene where I don't think they would have been allowed to show us that shot if Buffy had not been invisible. Oh, absolutely not. No, no, like, no. Is he, like, not thrusting into her at this point? Yes, he, yeah, that's what I'm saying. They're having sex with Xander in the room. So I'm so uncomfortable <laughs> watching this. <laughs> like, I don't even want to talk about it. I'm living my life. Um, Kara... What I'll tell you as well, and you're going to fucking hate the information, all right? But I, we need to talk about it. <laughs> it's that another reason why Xander is like, it's, it's hard for me to believe that he wouldn't clue into the fact that Spike is having sex. If not with Buffy, then with somebody else invisible. Marcy, maybe. Um, <laughs> because there would be a smell. Like, if they've been having sex in this, like, dank cave... <laughs> for i don't, for need, how, no, I don't, I don't know for how long it's nighttime now it was daytime when she got there like there would be a smell i'm sorry like he, the fact that xander can't clue into that is wild <laughs> if only our listeners could see your face Kara. is <laughs> i'm just trying hard not to make too much noise so you don't have to edit it all out um, oh my god oh. <laughs> yeah this is this hey we thought the sex scene in Smashed was pretty intense and like this was like, worse. This is no, this, this was is worse, worse because the sex scene in Smashed they don't show you that much, right? They just show you the building coming down, the pathetic fallacy of it all, and I'm just like, okay, that's poetic. I can deal with that. This is like, how do I say this? <laughs> James Marsters is so bony; it makes me uncomfortable. Mm, interesting, like. I'm not. I'm, I'm. I'm trying to be sensitive because I don't want to body shame this guy, right? But like, he's just so skinny, and like, the, yeah, he's so angular, and it's like seeing him like in the position, and I'm just like, you know, and I'm saying this, and I'm like, would it be better if somebody who wasn't so bony would be fucking Buffy in this position? No, I'd still be really uncomfortable. But just like, like the moment where he's like getting up and wrapping the towel around himself, and it's just like, I'm just like. Uh, Spike is naked and I don't like it. <laughs> I, I think, so he is in really good shape, but you're right it, when it comes to his thinness and being in good shape because he's clearly it, it, not it, eating. He's not bodybuilding. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a it's look. A look. And, and again, like I've, I I got a little bit of heat for criticizing um, heavy eyeliner, you know, punk Spike on the subway in the 80s and which I appreciate it because too often people come for you and not for me. And so please come for me more often, people. So, you know, maybe I'll get heat for this. If Spike is your thing, right? If bony, angular James Marsters is your thing, if you think that's hot, you do you. I am not judging anybody who finds Spike attractive here. That is totally fine. Uh, I'm just trying to describe, like... The porn that we're watching. <laughs> right? And, yeah. And, you know, like, it just... <sighs> yeah it, it's visceral and again and i think we talked about this in in smashed as well right like you just said if you find that hot um not just james marsters or spike itself but like the sex scene itself is hot that that's fine but it is so blatantly in our face and for me it's more like buffy like you're like xander <laughs> walked in this is why i recoil when you suggest we we 
review True Blood, right? Is I'm like, I don't know if I could handle that. Spike reminds me of Jason. Like, mm. you know, like it's just, it's that certain type. It's that certain body type. It's just like, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I think people look silly when they have sex, like of any gender. It's not, mm-hmm. sorry, I'm, I'm being really, I'm being hard on Spike here because he's the one we can see. But like people doing sex acts is objectively funny to me. Uh, they <laughs> look silly. And, and yeah, like True Blood has so much explicit sex in it. I'm just like, I don't think I could handle that. That's fair. And, and I... I will say, like, it is, for lack of a better word, shocking to see this sex scene in this show because it, it just keeps getting more and more explicit, right? So thanks, everybody, for making Kara uncomfortable. I had nothing to do with it. I definitely <laughs> didn't bring up more things to make her uncomfortable. It's not what I do. It's okay. I have <laughs> I have uh, more coherent thoughts about the second half of the scene. <laughs> yeah. So, so Xander leaves. And again, like, I'll, I'll bring it up again. I just I think it's obvious that he was having sex, Xander. Come on. The smell. Oh, my God. I, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> The more you know. <laughs> so Buffy says, what's the matter? Shane to be seen with me? Come on. He had no idea I was here. This is perfect. She lies on the bed with a sheet on so we can see the outline of her body. And Spike says, perfect for you, as he pours himself a drink. And Buffy says, picture me confused. I thought this was what you wanted. And Spike says, what I want. Hmm. This vanishing act's right liberating for you, isn't it? Go anywhere you want. Do anything you want or anyone. The only reason you're here is that you're not here. And Buffy says, right, of course. As usual, there's something wrong with Buffy. She comes back all wrong. I didn't ask for this to happen to me. And I was like, oh, oh, that's interesting. I found it really interesting that Buffy says she came back all wrong, repeating what Spike said to her to get her to sleep with him in the first place, right? So I think this is a very clever thing to put back in there that the reason Buffy is doing what she's doing and having sex with Spike in his little cave is because she feels wrong, right? Like he he had dug that in and it stuck. Yeah. So Spike says, not too put off by it, are you? And Buffy says, no, maybe for the first time, I'm free. Free of rules and reports, free of life. And Buffy throws the blanket off of her, gets up. Spike says, free of life. I have a name for that, dead. And Buffy says, why do you always have to, I thought we were having fun. And Spike holds her at arm's length and says, yeah, now, sooner or later, your chums are going to work out a way to bring you back to living color and you need to go. Get dressed up if you can find your clothes and push off because if I can't have all of you, then I'd rather. And then Spike looks down and uh, he says, hey, that's cheating because Buffy's giving him a blowjob, Kara. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or playing with his dick in some way. I, I did understand that inference, <laughs> yes, unfortunately. Okay. Um, again, do not like. <sighs> this is tough, not just because of the blowjob thing. First off, unrelated to this specific scene, but in general, Spike's crib <laughs> uh, is getting pretty swank. Did you notice? Like He's, he's got, got lots of stuff. He's, yeah, yeah. Like, it, it's looking homey. So I don't know who's doing your interior decorating, Spike. I don't know if it's you. Good job. Uh, Is he still getting all his stuff from Toth's home, a.k.a. the dump? (laughs) (laughs) Credit where credit is due. That's what I'm saying. Uh, Back to the subject of Buffy and Spike having sex and invisible sex. First off, would invisible sex be hot? I don't know. Never had it. (laughs) (laughs) That's good to know. I appreciate knowing that about you. I'm just curious. Like, is this a kink thing? Like, are they getting off on this? I don't know. Buffy is. Buffy is for sure, because yeah, like she's saying, I'm free. I can't believe I'm going to ask this question, Steph. Can Spike not see his penis anymore when it goes inside of her? 
masking this at all is fucking killing me. Yeah, he can obviously see his dick because, like, he's not invisible. She is, you know? Right, right. but if it's inside her, if it's... No, because let's say, like, if, if I have a box and the box is invisible and I put my hand in the box, you're still gonna see my hand. But, like, if Buffy, like, ate an apple... Would it, would we just see an apple, like, being digested in oh, her stomach? Oh, no, no, don't do this. <laughs> don't, don't do this to me. I'm assuming Buffy ate nothing except for Spike. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, the whole mechanics of the invisible sex. This, this, is, the, this is where my brain goes. Um, anyway, this is tough for me because I hate to say it, but there's a part of me that's on Spike's side here. I... To ask the question in my notes, are we sympathizing a bit with Spike here? Uh, it makes me want to puke a little bit, but no, it's it's no. Here, here, here. Well, here's now what I'm you know say. how I feel about the whole scene. <laughs> here's what I'm gonna say. I can understand Spike's attitude toward Buffy in this case, in what he's saying, right? Like, I get where he's coming from. He he technically, like, I put in quotations here, loves her. So if you love someone. And that someone is okay with having sex with you, but literally cannot stomach the idea of anyone knowing that they're having sex with you. That sucks, right? And in that case, I can understand Spike. I don't sympathize with him, though, because, again, he's just, he's just, <laughs> it's just too much. It's, yeah. just, it's just too much I think what I'm feeling is, like, Buffy, girl, like, have some more self-respect. Like, I think... Yeah, more so than sympathy for Spike, what I'm feeling is just a deep-seated like discomfort that Buffy is broken. She's clearly not okay. This is how she's taking it out on, her, on herself. And I, and again, I get it. Like Buffy getting with Spike makes a lot of sense based on where she is in her head right now. And I, I don't want to be too, too critical of her decision here because we all make bad decisions, right? And, and just because my bad decisions aren't me choosing to sleep with a bony blonde vampire doesn't mean I don't make bad decisions sometimes. So I'm not here to judge you too much, Buffy, but like, I just, I'm feeling for her in this scene because this is, this is self-harm. This is like the way that she's acting in this whole episode, right? And then we, you know, we'll come, we'll come to that in the culmination at the end of it. Like she's going to see Spike because she knows that he's going to make her feel worse as well as have sex with her. Yeah, and like when she says, I'm free, I'm free of rules and reports, I'm free of life, right? It's like the same thing of when she first kissed him, right? I, this isn't real, but I just want to feel. So of course, she's leaning into this escapism. That's why she's enjoying being invisible so much. That's why she chose to spend the last couple hours in Spike's crib. Yeah, it's definitely something that's alarming. And and again, just like what you're saying, like I feel bad for Buffy. I feel bad that she feels like this is what she has to do to make herself feel something as much as we understand where spike is coming from i don't sympathize with him because at the end of the day he is the one that's making this worse for her overall and again he's an evil vampire like what does he care about that but um it's just unfortunate overall also i would say i'd like to add how would buffy find her clothes like i really hope that like in the midst of all the the violence before they had started having sex at least she like stood back and stripped herself and put her invisible clothes in one spot that's <laughs> that's what i was hoping for her no that's that's a very fair point and that that was going to be my answer as well to the question you had in your notes there right is it's like that's the only way you can do it and i i thought about that too when i watched the scene i'm like what what but where are her clothes and then i'm thinking like 
Is Buffy walking around naked for the rest of the episode? Because that's uncomfy too. Is that what Marcy's been doing this whole time? I, I guess the other thing would be like if if Spike like put something on top of something and it was floating, there must be something there. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, let's cut to Willow, who's at an internet cafe. She's looking up the DMV database, which is loading so slowly. And she's tapping her fingers. She's like, oh, my God, this is so slow. Should she use her magic and speed it up? But then she doesn't have to. It loads. She writes down the addresses that she gets. Uh, so Buffy is leaving Spike's crib. She's walking down the street. She's kicking a can. She's mumbling to herself. She's like, I don't believe this. He threw me out. He threw me out. Like, did I fall into some backward dimension here? Is this bizarro world? And after he's always going on and on about the about being the only one who understands me, we're like you and me, birds of a bloody feather. And she walks into a group of people um, as she's walking. She gets home. She calls out for Willow and Dawn, but no one's home. So she opens the fridge. That's when Dawn comes home she sneaks in the back door and she clearly did not come home after school and buffy says there you are and don says buffy where are you and buffy says i'm invisible check this out she grabs a pizza box from the fridge and she's like ooh, ooh I unidentified flying pizza coming in for a landing and don is freaked out and don's like stop it just stop and Buffy's like, sorry, Don, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to freak you out. And Don's like, what did you think would happen? You're freaking invisible, Buffy. And Buffy says, I know. Xander and Anya are working on it, moldering out what happened. Uh, X-Files reference. And Don's like, well, what about you? Shouldn't you, you be working on it? Do you even care about who did this to you? And if you're going to be stuck this way, you're making jokes and flying pizzas. And then um, Buffy's like, well, no. And Dawn's like, I can't talk to you like this. I can't see you. How can I talk to you if I can't see you? So Dawn runs upstairs and Buffy calls after her. And then she notices that there's a message on the machine. And it's Xander. And he's saying, Buffy, it's Xander. Uh, where are you? Listen, we got a new problem here. And Anya's in the background. She's like, tell her. And he's like, I'm trying to. Anya, and I think that whatever made you invisible is slowly killing you. And then you hear Anya. She's like, tell her about the pudding. <laughs> And but then Xander snaps at Anya. He's like, Anya. And I was like, don't snap at her, Xander. He says, Buffy, if this isn't reversed, you're going to dissolve or fade into nothing. And the message ends and Buffy's like, wow. So again, I feel for Dawn here, right? I totally get why Dawn would freak out about this. Not only did Dawn come home expecting to be scolded by her sister, her sister once again let her down by not even noticing that she didn't come home on time. Not even noticing that it's like 8 p.m. and she's been missing for a couple hours. Right. And instead, she's like caught up in her own life, her own invisible life that she doesn't even care about and neglecting Dawn. So I understand why she'd lose it. Oh, I agree. And I, I think what we're seeing here in this scene is a really like marked departure for Dawn from her character earlier in the season. I think like at the start of the season, you know, just after Buffy came back, she was so happy that if, you know, if the next episode Buffy became invisible, Dawn would be like, oh, that's really cool. Like, you know, let's get up to some hijinks. I, I think Dawn in the past has had a tendency to look on the bright side of, oh, you know, this is a funny, magical thing that's happening. This is so cool. But, you know, just as you said, Steph, she is so freaked out right now by all of the chaos happening in her life and she doesn't feel safe and it's really starting to show on her. So I, I like how she's being portrayed here. Again, I think Dawn gets a lot of criticism, probably more so in season five than in season six. But like, I think this is a very believable portrayal of a teenage girl who lost her mom, lost her sister, sister came back, sister is trying her best, but Dawn's just like, 
you're you're all, all of you are freaking me out there because Tara's you know only semi in the picture right now there's no trusted adult that Don can go to to talk to about any of this and again no one is around no one even thought to be like where's Don after school you bet Giles is not picking up those phone calls <laughs> like where was Don this whole time was she in Rugs Field like making friends with vampires again like where's she been so Willow has found the van at Warren's mom's house and she just walks right into the lair. She just walks right into the back door because she's snooping. And she sees the plans for the invisibility ray, which are conveniently written on a whiteboard. (laughs) And she sees the ray itself. And then we hear, now! And the trio have made themselves invisible. And um, she, she gets held by both her arms. And then we hear Warren say, congratulations, you're our first hostage. And there's like um tape floating in the middle of the air and they they tape up Will's mouth. Back at home, Buffy is calling up to Don. She's like, I'm going to go find Xander. But then the phone rings and she answers it. And it's Jonathan. He says, don't talk. Just listen, Slayer. You don't have a lot of time. And Buffy's like, who is this? You sound familiar. And Jonathan drops his voice to a deeper octave. He's like, nobody, no one you know. We've got your friend Willow. And if you don't want anything nasty to happen to her, you better meet us alone. This reminded me a lot of the scene from last week's episode. <laughs> yeah. No, two weeks ago. Yeah. And smashed with, with Spike, right? Spike? Slayer. <laughs> yeah. I'm <that laughs> getting a lot of semi, like, pseudonymous phone calls right now. Lots of stuff happening with Buffy and phones this season. Where do they go? Because Buffy asks where. They go to the arcade. Buffy enters. Uh, we know this because she sneaks by the ticket person with, like, the little wheelie this, thing. This is a brilliant meeting spot for invisible people. Why? Well, just because it's so easy to, like, disguise where you are. Because if they were in a quiet place, Buffy could try to hear where they are, right? But there, you know, so much ambient noise that the only cue she has is that Willow's there. Okay, okay, okay. So Willow is standing at the back and Warren, we can hear him say, just stay still and you won't get hurt. Buffy says, and this is is chaos because it's just Willow in the scene. (laughs) And, like, lots of the camera pointing at the wall because, obviously, it's invisible people. And Duffy's like, Will, are you okay? Where are the bad guys? And Warren's like, all around you, Slayer, so don't try anything. And Willow says, he's bluffing Buffy. There's just three of them, I think. And Warren says, more than enough to cause some serious carnage. Right, guys? Guys? Guys! And it's because Andrew and Jonathan are playing an arcade game next to them. And Warren's like, the Slayer's here. So Andrew's like, sorry, didn't see her. And Warren says, why don't we continue this in a less crowded area, like over there? And everybody says, where? (laughs) So he grabs Willow and the invisibility ray, and they go to a choir space in the back of the building. And Buffy says, I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess that you're the ones who did this to me. And Jonathan says, it was an accident. And Buffy's like, who is that? And Jonathan's like, nobody you know so willow says you're the one you're the, they're the ones with the mystery van buffy like buffy says oh so what annoying thing are you going to do to me now and warren says save your life make you visible and uh willow says they told me everything buffy something's happening to you to you um buffy says yeah i'm fading away i know so warren says i can fix that pick up the hockey mallet from the, ho- the air hockey table to give me a target to aim at and buffy does so and warren's like Okay, now hold still and all your troubles will soon be gone. He powers up the machine, but Willow is watching him do this and she notices that it's on the wrong setting. So she's like, no, the gun is not set on reversing the particle ionization. It'll accelerate her molecular dissolution. I saw the plan. And I was like, whoa, Willow. Willow, you really are truly reminding us of what a genius you are because all she saw 
was the whiteboard. <laughs> like, all she saw was the whiteboard of information, and she figured this all out. Talk science to me, Willow. Please, <laughs> talk more science to me. I need this in my life. So Warren says, mind your business. And Jonathan's like, what's she talking about? And Willow says, Buffy, he's trying to kill you. Warren walk, knocks Willow out with a gun and Buffy chucks the mallet at him <laughs> and he drops the gun. And um, Buffy says, playtime's over. And Warren says, you haven't won yet, Slayer. And Buffy's like, no, that part comes after I beat the snot out of you. Warren says, you'll have to find me first. There's three of us against just one of you. And then we hear Jonathan and Andrew saying like, hey, you lied to us. Fight her yourself. And Warren's like, you think she cares about that? I go down. We all go down. And Buffy's like, I promise you, you're all going down. And Warren says, we may not have your power, Slayer, but you'll find that we are not so easy to... And he goes, ow, get her! Because obviously Buffy punched him. All we hear here now is just grunting and punching and kicking, right? Other people in the arcade are cluing into ruckus happening. They're running out. Willow wakes up and she finds the invisibility ray. And Jonathan's wondering where Buffy is. And Buffy's like, here! And we, <laughs> we hear a punch and something slams into one of the machines. Warren says, she can't find us if we split up. You go that way. And Jonathan says, which way? And Warren says, that way. And then we hear another punch and something gets knocked into the ball pit. And Buffy's like, keep talking, boys. And then we hear Jonathan saying, ow, 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 watch the chest air. And Buffy says, I know that voice. You're. And Willow fires the ray, the invisibility gun at Buffy and Jonathan who appear. And Buffy's holding Jonathan up. And she says, Jonathan, you have chest hair? <laughs> and willow shoots at the ball pit warren appears and buffy's like warren and then willow shoots the broken arcade game and andrew is sitting on top of it and buffy's like who are you <laughs> and he's like uh andrew i summoned the flying monkeys that attacked the high school during the school play you know <laughs> and, and then there's a beat where buffy and willow give them both a look because they have no idea and i just want to comment like it's the most withering look i have seen from these two ladies in such a long time it's great this is art right like this is art the power for women to just like look at men when they're behaving badly and be like you're behaving like a bunch of boys that's what willow and buffy are channeling right now and i fucking love it yeah <laughs> and then jonathan and warren confirmed that he's tucker's brother and willow and buffy are like oh <laughs> So Buffy says, um, so you three have what? Banded together to be pains in my ass? And Warren's like, we're your arch nemesis. And you might have beat us this time, Slayer. But next time, uh, next time. And Jonathan shouts, maybe not. And he throws that smoke powder that he used in uh, uh, Life Cereal. And they try to escape. But the door's locked. So Andrew never checked it. So they're stuck there. And Buffy's like, I give you my arch nemesis sissies. A security guard comes in and distracts them. He's like, there's a bunch of kids that's scared outside. They say this place is haunted. And then we hear a rattling. And then the trio have managed to open the door and they escape. And Willow says, oh my God, Buffy. And Buffy says, I know they're gone. I guess we should chase them. And Willow's like, no, your hair, it is adorable. And sure enough, it is a cute haircut. So this is the last scene of the episode outside the arcade. Um, Buffy is telling Willow that it's pretty neat that she found the van. Like, how did you manage it? And Willow says, I had to locate it the hard way, the spell free way. The, oh my God, my head's going to fall off. My feet are killing me way. They sit down on the curb together and there's like um, music playing in the background here. Like not Michelle Branch, unfortunately. It's just uh, another interesting little pop ditty, I guess. Uh, Willow says, I don't know how I got through this day. And Bobby says, the important thing is that you did. It's a good first step. Willow asks how she's doing post-invisibleness. And Buffy says, 
Okay, I still have to do some damage control from my giddy fest. Dawn was pretty freaked out. The whole taking a vacation from me thing didn't work out pretty well. Except when I got Xander's message that I was fading away, I actually got scared. And Will's like, who wouldn't? And Buffy says, I wouldn't. Not too long ago, I probably would have welcomed it. I realize I'm not saying I'm doing backflips about my life, but I didn't. I don't want to die. That's something, right? And Will says, that's something. So I guess we both made good first steps. Buffy says, I guess... And Willow says, yay for us. And Buffy says, yay. And they fade to black and that's the end. First off, I am glad that they've both made steps and that they've talked about it with each other. Yes, I'm really happy with how this episode handles this stage of Willow's attempt at recovery. It's really nice to see Willow, you know, and her struggle going cold turkey. And the several parts of this episode where she's tempted to use magic and she almost does and she doesn't, right? And... They're showing us that struggle. They're showing us how hard it is for Willow. And then finally, at the end of the episode, we get girl talk. Mm -hmm. I missed this. I was proud of Willow for not using magic when she was taken hostage. Like, she could have gotten out of that situation very easily. Right. But she didn't. And and she was basically helpless when it comes to, like, not having weapons for herself. Like, even when she wasn't abusing magic, she had maybe a trick up her sleeve to get out of a situation. And she didn't use it. So I am proud of her for that. And I am proud of Buffy for recognizing in herself that, you know, a couple episodes ago, she wanted to die. She almost died uh, during Once More With Feeling. She would have happily done it. And saying here that she doesn't want to, I think is a really brave step for her to admit to Willow as well. So good for Buffy. One thing I do think Buffy is not doing in this episode that she definitely should be is I think Dawn deserves a conversation. I think this episode, as much as I love the girl talk between Buffy and Willow, I wish that they gave more time to Dawn. Maybe they will in the next couple episodes coming up. I don't know. But I'm sad that um, we're not getting more of her perspective. I want to see another episode where Dawn's writing in her diary. Yeah, right? Or like going back to old, yeah, like um, old reliable, right? But that's definitely one of the minuses of season six that this episode has made me aware of. One of the reasons why I, I don't enjoy it as much the lack of the Scooby's camaraderie in the season is one of them. But now I'm starting to think the neglect of Dawn, not just within the Scooby group as Buffy's sister, but in the show, right? Like the show is sure. neglecting her and I yeah. don't like it. I think she deserved a conversation after what happened to her this, this episode. Do you think it's maybe because in season five, she had a purpose, right? She was the key. And now... The writers are just kind of like, oh, she's not the key anymore. What do we do with her? Yeah, but that's a that's a shame because you and I are already saying, like, how compelling is her story as a teenager mm-hmm. that's going through all this trauma and no one is noticing, right? That's compelling. And that's a really good story to tell. Or even having, as you pointed out earlier, Dawn being surrounded by all this freaky stuff when she maybe just wants to be a normal teenager and move on now, right? And she just can't. So that this is a, there's a story here that they're really missing out on. And I think Dawn deserves more. The Dawn Meister Chronicles. <laughs> Stay tuned, people. Who's your hero? Ooh, um, you know what? I did pick Xander, but I, I also... <sighs> no, well, yeah, I picked Xander and I picked willow uh willow going back to old reliable which is just straight up nancy drew detective work xander did take the lead in a lot of this research right and a lot of figuring out what's happening and keeping buffy informed i did not pick anya because she did care more about her wedding (laughs) 
<laughs> that she did. <laughs> but she did help. Surprise. She helped. But like, you know, so that that's what All I right. Think. No, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I see, yeah, I had a tough time with this episode. At first, I, I was thinking about Dawn just for the way that she treats Willow and, and stands up to Buffy and kind of says like, this is not okay. But she also really annoyed me in that first scene. I hear what you're saying about Xander. I'm on the fence about him just because of how he is again in that opening where he's not defending Buffy and then grabbing her boob and not on it with the detecting the spike sex. And yeah, like, I don't know, a hundred percent agree on Willow, which is such whiplash from the last episode, right? It's like, we've gone from really strongly condemning Willow to, oh, like, good job, Willow. But yeah, Willow for sure. And then... I don't know about Xander, but I hear what you're saying. Honorary Again. mention Xander. You tried. Again, it was an off episode for me where I was like, eh, I'm not feeling this episode. So picking Xander for an episode like this is fine by me. <laughs> hot steaks time. Time for a hot steak. So our first hot steak is from Clara or Clara. I don't know how you pronounce it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have a hot steak about once more with feeling. One of my favorite episodes and one of my favorite demons. But the significance of Sweet's suit is worth pointing out. Rather than being a baggy 90s suit, Sweet is actually wearing a zoot suit, a popular style among fashionable black and Latino men in America from about the 1930s to 1950s. The most famous celebrity wearer of the zoot suit is possibly Cab Calloway, known to more modern, modern audiences for his role in The Blues Brothers. The suit's origin is strongly associated with black song and dance acts in the 1930s. The zoot suit was a way for working-class, oppressed, ethnic minority men to reclaim their identity and express themselves. It didn't go down too well with the authorities, and there were zoot suit riots in LA in the 1940s as Latino wearers of the style were targeted by U.S. servicemen who deemed their extravagant style as unpatriotic during wartime. Hmm, sounds familiar. Now, Sweet was played by a black actor and is possibly the only non-vampire demon, R.I.P. Mr. Trick, to appear in Buffy. I'm assuming Clara meant the non-vampire black demon. But he is also signified as black slash ethnic by his costuming. It's maybe disappointing that the demon of song and dance himself plays into a racial stereotype of black people being naturally gifted in this area. I loved this hot steak. History with Clara. <laughs> yeah, I, like I really learned something. I had no idea. So I really appreciated the history lesson there. Yeah, I've heard of Zoot Suits, but I, I did not make the, the visual connection there. So thank you for writing in with, you know, dropping all that history on us and... Yeah, the, the whole thing about, like, you know, Hinton Battle being a black actor playing this demon. When we are dealing with, like, science fiction and fantasy shows that have heavy prosthetics and often will, like, cover up an actor's natural skin color, that that's always, like, this weird thing of representation where it's, like, so, it's, you know, obviously demons don't have the same races as humans, right? There's no such thing as a black demon or a white demon, um, and it would be super problematic if there were. Um, but at the same time, it's like, okay, yeah, you're hiring a black actor, which is fantastic. You should have more black people on the show, both, you know, good and evil and everything in between. But it's like, 
yeah, like, oh, so, oh, so, so you wanted a black man on your show because he's got the pipes now, but you didn't want him on your show earlier? Okay, I see what you're doing, so. <laughs> Yeah. Will Buffy ever bring a black, you know, a black, prominent black actor into the fold? We'll have to find out. <laughs> Our next hot take is from Hillary, who wanted to write in after listening to Tabula Rasa. And in that episode, Kara, you had brought up the fact that what Willow really needs is Sims. That will help her <laughs> distract her from all the magic and she would just control people using Sims. So Hillary says... It occurred to me that if Willow started playing The Sims, uh, as you suggest, instead of doing magic, she would know that leaving a fireplace with a lit fire unattended is poor fire safety. Speaking from experience, when my Sims burst into flames, the moment they exit a room with a lit fire in the fireplace. (laughs) Legit. Thank you, Hillary. Uh, Good one. Uh. So... Our next one is from Bristol, who writes in um, saying that uh, they have a question on where we think Tara is going when she leaves Willow. We know that she doesn't have any family in town, and there has been no indication that she has any other friends, but maybe she does. I thought maybe it's possible that she still has a dorm room that she can go to on campus. She definitely doesn't have any money to rent an apartment somewhere or get a hotel for more than maybe a night or two. What are your theories? For all we know, Tara could have a job because she is like the most responsible adult in this group, right? So it's like, you know, if Willow wasn't keeping her with her stipend from Sheila or whatever, like maybe Tara has a job because she's not connected to her family. Like, how is she paying for college? Is she, does she have scholarships? You know, maybe all this time we've been complaining about Willow and Tara freeloading when really we should just be complaining about Willow freeloading. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, I, the serious answer is she probably went back to campus or something, right? Or, or found her own apartment somewhere in, in town. Not as nice as uh, Xander's, obviously, but that's the standard answer. My other thought was like, maybe she's at Angel's Mansion, right? We know it's open. <laughs> we know it's got a great sunroof and, <laughs> and, oh, and balcony. So maybe that's where she's hiding out. I don't know. There's been weirder things that happened on the show. <laughs> Our final hot stake uh, comes to us from many of our listeners. A few episodes ago, we were talking about the Bramble of uh, Lethe and its association with the river Lethe in the underworld, the Greek underworld. And many of you uh, on Instagram and Discord, and uh, you wrote in and you said like, hey, here's all the rivers. I thought there were three. There's actually five. Of course, one of our residents, one of our resident classics experts, Rachel, uh, gave us a big explainer. So thank you so much. Uh, so of course we have Le- uh, Lethe, which is the river of forgetting. Um, and so we talked about that in the, the episode. And then we have uh, Phlegathon, which is the river of fire, which reminds me of Phlegiston, which is the non-existent element that scientists used to think was involved in combustion. Uh, and then we have uh, Cocytus, or sorry, Cocytus, which means lamentation, the river of wailing. Uh, and Dante described it as a frozen river. And Rachel says, if you believe him, which I love. It's like, yeah, did he really see this river? I don't know. <laughs> um, so that's a, that's a Dante's Inferno reference. Uh, of course, the river Styx is the most famous river and named after a famous rock band. And um, finally, the River Acheron, which I left for last because uh, Rachel isn't sure of its etymology, right? But 
uh, it has something to do with woe and suffering. So it <laughs> it doesn't really seem to have a purpose. She notes it seems to serve the same purpose as sticks, although there is a real river Acheron in Greece. So there you have it. There's all the rivers of the underworld and you can book your tour now. <laughs> yeah, they sponsored this podcast. <laughs> uh, no, our podcast is sponsored by our lovely Buy Me a Coffee listeners. But I also want to like shout out to Rachel for doing all that uh, research for us, as well as everyone else who wrote in to let us know this information. Thanks. And thank you to all of our chosen ones. Lizzie, Holly, Kayla, Jordan, Julian, Nicola, Louise, Joshua, Reese, and Suzanne. <laughs> Amy, Ricky, Tasha, Haley, Jace, Allison, Erica, Destiny, Kyle, and Emma. Thanks, everybody. We will see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you want and can't afford to donate, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options. We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week. We also invite you to join us in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook prophecy underscore girls on twitter also email us at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website prophecygirls.ca where you can find the link to our discord can't wait to hear from you praise malik see you next week